Hello, everyone, and welcome to the thrilling adventures of Superman, a podcast where Superman still stands for truth, justice, and the American way. My name is Michael Bradley, and this is episode 67. This time out, we are back to the wonderful world of newspapers for a look at the 15th storyline from the Superman Daily Strip, which is actually a pretty entertaining story, and I think you guys will like it quite a bit. First up, though, I have got a bit of feedback to read, which comes from Yuka, and he actually sent me this on Facebook, so thank you, Yuka. But he wrote, Love the Thrilling Adventures of Superman podcast. I first found John M. Wilson's podcast about the same topic, but love it that you guys have different places from which you look at the property. Always more of a fan of podcasts slash video reviews where the host can share tidbits of information or behind-the-scenes stuff on what went into making something. Keep up the good work. So thank you, Yuka. Yeah, whenever I, whenever possible, I try to you know give some behind-the-scenes information. One of the objectives I had when I started the show was to learn more of that and share it when I could. As I've talked about before, I've been a Superman fan for a long time, and I've read a lot about it, but I, I by no means consider myself an expert, and I'm always looking to learn more about the history of the character. So I'm glad you're enjoying it, and I will definitely keep it up as long as I'm able. Yuka also sent me an email saying that he really liked the Batman, the Brave and the Bold retrospective that I did on the website. I think I mentioned that a few episodes ago, but in case not, what I did was I put together a four-part retrospective on the recently ended Batman animated series and tie-in comic book, looking at the numerous Superman-related references and, and appearances and cameos in both the cartoon and the comic. It actually started out as just one post, but as I got into it, I found way more than I was expecting, so it ended up becoming a series of posts over the course of a month. But that's not specifically related to the show. It just I just posted it on the website because that's where I post all my comic booky stuff. So I'm not going to read uh, Yuka's email on that, but I really did appreciate it, and I'm glad people found it interesting. So thank you again, Yuka, for both the emails. That said, I'm going to play a promo real quick, and when we come back, we'll talk about something that is specifically related to the show, namely Superman's Newspaper Adventures. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman of the Bronze Age is a weekly podcast covering the adventures of Superman from 1970 to 1986. Join host Charlie Niemeyer at superbronze1970.libson.com. The 15th storyline from the Superman Daily Newspaper Strip was 48 strips long, making it the second longest story from the Daily so far. It ran from May 15th to July 6th, 1940, and was comprised of strips 415 to 462. During that time, pretty much everything we've looked at on the show since early March was released. The radio show had four storylines, Buffalo Hills, Alonzo Cragg, Horace Morton and Hans Holbein. The Sundays wrapped up Assassins and Spies and kicked off a new storyline about a week and a half after this storyline started. And in the comic books, both Action Comics number 26 and Action Comics number 27 were published. Our story was written by Jerry Siegel, of course, and the art was penciled by Wayne Boring and possibly inked by a brand new name for the show, Don Commissaro. Commissaro is a name we'll hear off and on for a little while in connection with stories we'll be looking at, mostly inking over Wayne Boring, as I recall. Our title is The Unknown Strikes, and the story opens as the city of Metropolis is hit by a crime wave involving a series of bank robberies, distinguished by the fact that the authorities seemingly have no interest in investigating or stopping them. Clark Kent is assigned to interview Mayor Carlisle about the situation, and soon he and Lois Lane join a gaggle of reporters at City Hall. 
Soon, the mayor's campaign manager, a man named Lewison, tells Clark and the other reporters that, that they'll be getting no statements from the mayor. Clark, Lois, and the other reporters wonder why and say that his silence is going to hurt him come re-election time. Clark phones back to the Daily Planet and tells Taylor that they couldn't come up with a story. After an earful from the boss, he rejoins Lois, who has had an idea. She leads Clark to the Metropolis Trust Bank and tells him it's the city's largest bank. Since it hasn't been robbed yet, she has a hunch that it will be soon, and they're just going to wait outside the bank for it to happen. Before Clark can tell her how completely off her rocker she is, fate lends a hand, and directly across the street from the bank, two cars collide in what looks to be a pretty serious collision. Police arrive quickly, including Sergeant Casey, and Clark comments how much quicker they showed up to the wreck than major crimes. Just then, a car pulls up, and Tommy gun-wielding gangsters pile out. While Clark and Lois are held at gunpoint, the rest enter and hold up the bank. The police across the street don't seem to notice or care about the robbery, so Lois tells Clark she's going to try and get their attention. Clark tries to stop her, but Lois calls him a coward and makes a run for it, calling after the officers. The gangster raises his gun to shoot, and Clark worries how he'll save her without revealing his identity as Superman. But thankfully, the gangster realizes that Lois is running towards the police and lowers his weapon, saying it won't do her any good which is a move that leaves Clark even more confused. Lois finally gets the officer's attention, but they laugh off her claims of a bank robbery. However, after seeing a car speed past, and Clark running up to point out that it was the gangsters, the officers, Clark and Lois, hop into the police cruiser and give chase. Lois tells the officers that she thinks the gangsters went down an alley to the right, but the police car makes an abrupt left, and then they question whether Clark and Lois saw bandits at all causing Lois to offer a few choice words and storm off in a huff. Slipping unseen into a nearby alley, Clark changes to Superman, and a terrific leap launches the Man of Tomorrow up into the air. From high above, Superman notices a commotion at the bank as people rush in, seeking to withdraw their money. Lois, who is outside the bank, gets swept along as the mob of people break down the doors. Outside, Superman streaks down the side of the building and happens to see the bank president in his office about to commit suicide. Superman smashes through the window, telling the man not to shoot, but it's too late. The trigger has been pulled. Leaping forward at lightning speed, Superman places his hand between the gun and the man's head, blocking the bullet and saving the man's life. The manager explains that the depositors want their money, but that the bank can't afford to pay. Gateston Bank is willing to give them money, but as the bank is 50 miles away, it can't get there in time. Superman tells the manager to call for the funds and leave the rest to him. Back downstairs, we find Lois fallen to the ground and about to be trampled by a rearing horse that's being ridden by a police officer. Just in the nick of time, Superman swoops down and pulls Lois to safety. He then grabs one of the smashed bank doors and uses it to push the mob of people back out of the bank. Leaping to the base of a nearby statue, Superman addresses the crowd with a booming voice. He urges the crowd to be reasonable, but the crowd isn't interested and threatens to rush the bank again. Picking up the statue, Superman threatens the crowd and demands that they listen, and goes on to say that if the crowd will give him five minutes, they shall have their money. After the crowd agrees, Superman leaps off, hoping to reach Gateston Bank, secure the money, and return before the five-minute deadline. While the people at the bank wonder if Superman can make good on his promise, our hero races down the highway at hurricane speed, while an armored truck begins its trek towards Metropolis. As Superman hurdles buildings on his dash to the bank, he contemplates the mob's madness, as well as the police's seeming inactivity. Finally, Superman sees the armored truck on the road below. With only three minutes to go, Superman descends into its path and orders it to halt. Taking no chances, the armored truck driver bores at full speed ahead, but Superman simply grabs the truck, hoists it overhead, and leaps off. Back at the bank, with only a minute to go and Superman nowhere in sight, the mob prepares to lynch the bank manager. Suddenly, a terrific gust of wind blows the crowd back, and Superman lands before them with the truck. As the crowd lines up to get their money, Superman leaps off and lands atop City Hall. 
He watches the scene with his telescopic vision and thinks to himself about what a strange race human beings are. Shimmying down the building, Superman listens in as Lewison demands that Mayor Carlyle give the reader some exposition. I, I, I mean, he demands that Carlyle tell him why the police chief are allowing the bank robberies to go on when it will mean political suicide come election time. The mayor agrees to tell him, but swears him to secrecy, and then shows him a note that reads, Permit my men to rob the city's banks unmolested, or an explosion will take place unexpectedly in the downtown district, killing thousands. Signed, The Unknown. Lewison grows irate, telling the mayor he's foolish for buying into such a vague and anonymous threat. The mayor replies that that was his initial reaction as well, but a few days ago, he received a phone call predicting an explosion in a deserted building. Thankfully, since the building was deserted, no one was injured. But who knows what will happen next time. It's then that the police chief informs Lewison of another threat that the Crown Villa apartment building is scheduled to blow in just five minutes, but that teams have swept the building and found no bomb. With this news, Superman leaps off, determined to stop the explosion before anyone is injured. As he arrives at the building, he finds that it's been evacuated and cordoned off by police. However, a woman approaches the officer and tries to get through. The police tell her about the threat, and she absolutely loses it. Apparently, she'd been shopping, and now her baby, whom she'd left in the apartment, is all alone. She tries to run in, but the police stop her. Suddenly, a cloaked figure descends from the sky. Don't be frightened, Superman tells the woman. In what room is your child? Upon learning the room number, Superman streaks off into the building and up the stairs with only seconds to act. Outside, the officer tries to console the woman who is frantic about the fate of her child. But at just that moment, a deafening roar and the huge apartment building explodes into a cloud of dust. As our next trip begins, we flash back to seconds before the explosion. Superman busts through the door of the apartment and grabs the child. A mighty leap sends Superman crashing through the top of the building just as the explosion hits. The force of the blast tears the child from the Man of Steel's arms and downward to the street below. Superman reaches out to grab the plummeting child, but his fingers are inches away. With every ounce of strength he can muster, Superman presses himself farther and faster, finally grabbing hold of the child. And then, spreading his cape like a sail, Superman spirals down, slowing their descent and landing safely on the ground with the smiling child in his arms. After Superman returns the babe to his overjoyed mother, the woman asks Superman what she can do to thank him. And Superman says the only thanks he seeks is a promise that she'll never leave her child alone again. And with his good deed done, the mighty Superman leaps off, soon resuming his guise as the meek Clark Kent and returning to the offices of the Daily Planet. In the editor's office, Lois tells Taylor about the incident at the bank, and Taylor tells her to go ahead and write up the story. Lois squeals with sadistic glee as she bangs out the story that she's sure will make her career. Returning a short while later with story in hand, Lois is surprised to find Clark in Taylor's office talking about the incident at the apartment complex. But Lois is completely unimpressed and says Taylor can put Clark's story with the obituaries because her story is ready and it's the crowning masterpiece of a brilliant career. Lois offers to have the story rushed into print, but the editor tells her there's no need because he wants her to kill the story. He says he understands the story could be a circulation booster, but Clark has persuaded him to shelve it, and for a very good reason, of course. And it's at this point that Lois flips out. The niceties that Lois has been showing Clark in the radio show and comics recently flies straight out the window as she screams at Clark that he's simply jealous. Calling him an egotist, Lois slaps him across the face and then storms out of the office, slamming the door behind her. After rolling their eyes at Lois's temper tantrum, Clark tells Taylor that while he can't give details at the moment, he knows that police aren't being as negligent as it seems and promises that, given time, he'll come up with a whale of a story. Taylor agrees, and Clark places a call to the mayor, telling him to contact Lewison and the nameless police chief, as the three of them are about to get a visit from Superman. Later, Superman meets up with the three men at the mayor's office, and tells them he suspects the unknown's true identity, and may be able to reveal it soon. Just then, two thugs appear and fire machine guns at Superman, 
before slipping into an elevator. Superman rips the doors off the elevator and grabs the guns. After twisting the barrels together like pretzels, Superman grabs the two thugs and threatens to do the same to them if they don't quit their lives of crime. The two thugs make a run for it, and after evading some guards, Superman crashes through the window and leaps through the sky, following them back to their hideout. Using his super hearing, Superman listens in as the thugs talk to their boss, but a photoelectric signal alerts the thugs to Superman's presence, and they hit him with an electric shock. Superman is unharmed, of course, but plays unconscious, you know, just for laughs. The thugs drag Superman inside and then are surprised when the Man of Steel leaps up and demands to know the identity of the Unknown. Not knowing who Superman is, the boss is reluctant to talk. But after a little Superman-style convincing, the boss says all he knows is that the Unknown fixes things so that they can rob banks and then takes a cut of the money. He then tells Superman the Unknown always contacts them by telephone. And at just that moment, our old friend Fate returns, and the phone rings. The Unknown berates the thugs for botching the city hall job, but tells them to put the stolen bank money in a package and give it to the mayor's chauffeur. After hanging up the phone, Superman tells them to do as the Unknown said, and then turn themselves into police, and he reminds them not to say anything about his involvement, and leaps off. Minutes later, atop City Hall, Superman anticipates unmasking the Unknown as he watches the thug hand the package to the chauffeur. He starts to climb down, but stops short when he sees the chauffeur hand the package to the chief of police. Thinking this narrows the suspects down to either the chief or the mayor, Superman watches as the chief meets up with Lewison and hands him the package. Entering into City Hall, Superman is spotted by Lois. He quickly hushes her up and explains that he's on the trail of the Unknown. Once the police chief leaves, Superman watches as Lewison pulls out a pen and starts to address the package to himself. Dashing forward, Superman knocks the package from Lewison's hand before he can drop it into the mail chute. The commotion rouses the mayor and the police chief, and Lewison demands that Superman be arrested for stealing the package. But Superman rips open the box, revealing the stolen funds, and that Lewison is the unknown. Out of options, Lewison pulls a gun and grabs Lois to use as a human shield. He tells Superman, Carlisle, and the Chief not to move for ten minutes, or Lois will die. Dragging Lois by the hair, he backs around a corner and down a hall. But suddenly, crashing through the wall behind him, comes a pair of Kryptonian hands, grabbing Lewison by the throat. With Lewison in one hand and Lois under the other arm, Superman leaps off. After depositing Lois on the roof of the Daily Planet and telling her to rush the story into print, Superman leaps off again with Lewison. Lewison tells Superman he might be done for, but that there's no way Superman can stop the bomb that is set to blow up the downtown district. As we all know, Superman loves the challenge, so he deposits Lewison atop one of the buildings in the downtown district and says that he will stay there. If that part of town goes, Lewison will go with it. Frantic, Lewison screams that the bomb is in his office safe. Superman leaps down into the office and tears open the safe. He then grabs the bomb and leaps high into the air, mere moments before the bomb explodes. As Superman races off, unharmed by the blast, Lewison turns himself into the police and begs to be arrested for orchestrating the recent crime wave. Later, Clark returns to the Daily Planet with a scoop of the unknown's true identity, but is surprised when Taylor tells him it's too late because Lois has already filed the story. The end. <sighs> Such an awesome, awesome story. And I've got a lot of notes for this one, actually, so I'm just going to jump right in here. Uh, strip 415, I really liked the opening to this story. It was a different kind of opening than we have gotten in many stories until now. The first panel is a really great panel showing thugs robbing a bank with only a narrative box explaining that Metropolis has fallen victim to a series of bank robberies and that the police had done little to stop them. And the second panel is a silent panel that shows an issue of the Daily Planet with the headline that reads, Crime Wave Continues. Irate Citizens Score Police Indifference. And the third panel shows Clark and Lois getting assigned the story by Editor Taylor, or... Clark getting assigned the story and Lois tagging along, however you want to look at it. 
Uh, it was just a, a very effective use of space in both the writing and the art. Unlike a lot of stories, we didn't have a lot of cumbersome exposition or a week of strips showing all the bank robberies and the police not wanting to stop them. Uh, Siegel just threw us right into the thick of things after all that had happened, which was really a, a welcomed change. On the artistic side of things, I liked the use of the silent newspaper panel in the middle because it indicates a passage of time between the first and third panels. It would have been a bit odd to see the panel with the bank robbery and then Clark assign the story in the next because a reader could think that they were happening at the same time or even one right after the other. But with the newspaper panel in the middle, it communicated that there was a passage of time you know, at least long enough to get a newspaper out. Uh, plus, it repeats the point about the police's indifference to the robberies, which, of course, was very important to the plot of the story. And I don't know if the use of that panel would have been a choice of Siegel, or, you know, you know, if it had been in the script, or if the artists, when they were laying out the strip, I guess it just depends on how loose Siegel wrote his scripts, but either way, I really do like it. And I should also take a moment to point out that there are several panels, or se- several strips in the storyline, excuse me, that are only three panels rather than the standard four. We have had some three panel strips in the past, but they seem to be a lot more common in this storyline. And again, I don't know if that's an artist thing or if it was in the script, but I, I like it because it seems to open up the strips a bit more artistically. Uh, strip 416, you, you get a definite sense of a different artist here uh, with the way Lois looks. She just looks a little, not prettier really, but uh, but kinder or, or softer. And at the end of the strip, I liked Clark's comment. He thinks to himself, odd that Carlisle would put himself on the spot this way. This wasn't a Clark Kent story per se. But you get the sense in that moment that it's Clark's reporter brain spinning, you know, trying to puzzle out the mayor's actions opposed to Superman. So as a fan of Clark Kent, I, I really liked seeing that. Strip 417, it was fun seeing Clark get chewed out by Taylor for not getting the story, even though it totally wasn't his fault. Uh, Clark's rarely been on the receiving end of, uh, receiving end of ire from his boss. But... <laughs> Lois's big plan is just to go to a random bank, and granted, she says that it's the biggest bank in Metropolis that hasn't been hit yet, but her plan is to just go and wait at the bank, with no tips that it will be robbed next, or or when it will be robbed if it is. It seems pretty silly, and and it could be why Lois is still on the sob sister column. She takes investigative reporter to mean sit and wait around until something happens, if reporter. I thought at first that this was the same bank from the the first storyline of the Sunday Strip, but that was the Metropolis National Bank, where this is the Metropolis Trust Bank. You'd have to feel so bad for that bank if it was the same one. I mean, first they get strong-armed by Superman into making a, a bad business loan, and then they get held up by police, or excuse me, they get held up and the police won't do anything to help. If that was the case, you could hardly blame the bank manager for being so down later in the story. Uh, But strip 418. So Clark and Lois are waiting outside the bank, and they see an accident, and Clark calls it a minor accident. But from the art, it looks like a pretty severe accident. I mean, you see one car almost completely on its side, and it looks like the rear axle has snapped because the left rear tire is all askew. And the second car appears to have rammed into the first so hard that they've actually driven up onto the first somewhat. And there's these large pieces of metal or or perhaps glass scattered about the street. Having been in several accidents, it it doesn't look like anything that could be called a minor accident. Uh, Also of note in this strip is the introduction of Sergeant Casey. As I think I've talked about before, Casey's going to be a somewhat semi-recurring character while Siegel is still writing. Now, we met Captain Casey back in the 13th storyline from the dailies, which I covered in episode 49. But here, he's Sergeant Casey, which I'm pretty sure is what he will remain. 
I guess you could consider Captain Casey and Sergeant Casey to be one and the same, but given Siegel's proclivity towards reusing names, I, I tend to think it was just a coincidence. On the other hand, <laughs> two chips later, it seems that Sergeant Casey is called Sergeant Clancy, so maybe Siegel was really confused. But at the same time, the Casey Clancy thing could have been a mistake by the letterer, or, on the other hand, and yes, I realize that's three or four hands by now, but there are multiple officers on scene, so maybe there's a Sergeant Clancy and a Sergeant Casey. Uh, we have seen an officer named Clancy before, though I don't remember if he was a sergeant or not, or even what strip that was in uh, off the top of my head. The art in this strip is really, really good. All the storefronts behind the accident scene are detailed. You can see windows and doors and store names on the signage, you know, that kind of thing. The art, really, throughout this whole storyline is just really, really great, which I'll actually talk more about uh, in a bit towards the end of my notes. One thing about this particular strip, the first panel shows the accident on the left and Lois and Clark on the right standing by the bank, but they're sort of hidden around the corner of the bank, and the way the shot is framed, the wall of the bank comes down and splits the panel, almost making it look like two panels. I have no idea if that was intentional or not, but it's a kind of a neat trick to help break up the panel. Strip 419, Clark tries to stop Lois from getting herself killed, and all the goodwill she's built up goes right out the window as she calls him a coward and runs off anyway. Thankfully, she doesn't get killed, but I'm sure that that played no small part in her animosity towards him later. Strip 420, more praise here for the art. Lois runs off after Casey or, or Clancy, and, and the next panel shows the thug raising his gun like he's going to shoot her. Now, first, the thug looks really great. We get a speech balloon that looks like it's got icebergs hanging off of it. That's something that gets used more in later stories and in modern times, but it didn't get done a whole lot in 1940. But then in the next panel, we get a great, iconic image of Clark worrying over how to save Lois without revealing his identity. And seeing these two panels side by side, the thug's gun is aimed right at Clark's head. So even though he's not aiming at Clark in the story, it really heightens the, the intensity of the scene because your eye naturally flows from the barrel of the gun to the right, you know, into the next panel to where Clark is. It's just a nice little trick that really heightens the drama of the storytelling through the art and shows just how strong this art is, even though it's a more simplistic style by today's standards. Plus, I like the moment of Clark worrying over revealing his identity. As, I, as an iconic and even cliche, I guess to a point, part of the Superman mythology, I like seeing those being worked into the stories, and it, Siegel seems to be working more and more of, of those types of scenes in recently. Unfortunately, Lois running off and not getting shot brings me to a complaint I had about the story, insert joke here, in that it seems that the entire Metropolis police force is aware that they're not supposed to foil the bank robberies. Uh, here in strip 421 and, and 422, it seems the police officers actually go out of their way to lose the bank robbers when they're chasing them. And then later on in the story, the mayor and the police chief tell Lewison about the threatening note like it's some big secret. If the police chief is actually scared about the threat, I can see him telling the officers to ignore the robberies. But why did he and the mayor wait so long to tell Lewison? As the mayor's campaign manager, Lewison would have been part of their inner circle and, and privy to that information, I think. And yeah, he already knew since he was behind it, but they didn't know he knew. So, um, along those same lines, it, it bothers me that the mayor and the chief didn't seem to be doing anything to uncover who was behind the robberies. If they thought the unknown's threat was credible, I can understand maybe that they'd let the robbery go, but only if they were actively pursuing any and all leads to find out whom was behind it. From the narration, it seems like many banks had been hit to that point and when we catch up with the mayor and police chief later they just seem to be twiddling their thumbs wondering what to do 
But at the same time, I guess if they figured it out for themselves, it wouldn't have been a job for Superman. So there you go. Strip 423, Clark slips into an alley and, and changes to Superman and leaps off, apparently just leaving his clothes and glasses included in the alley. But this is a, another great strip of narration and art as well. The narration says, A terrific leap launches the man of tomorrow up into the air like a human meteor. It's just very awesome. Art-wise in the panel where Clark is changing his clothes, we see him fully revealed as Superman. And to the right of the panel, we see his clothes laying on a fence or a barricade of some sort. You see his jacket and his fedora and his glasses. It's a small detail, and maybe a well-duh moment to us as modern readers, but given the importance of the glasses, I love that they thought to doodle them in there in an era when details like that were often overlooked. And the next panel shows Superman launching into the air, and we see a, a nicely but not overly detailed skyline and the clouds behind him. It, like I said, the art in this pass is just so strong. Be sure to check out the show notes for the scans that I put up because it's, it's just a really great uh, set of strips, art-wise. Strip 424, the depositors rushing the bank seemed a little forced, I guess is one way to put it. I don't really know a better word. As Superman notes later, banks are insured against such things, but at the same time, I can understand how a wave of bank robberies in one city at one time, with no hope that the police was doing anything to, anything to curb them, might cause a panic, so... I guess it's all right. And really the purpose of it was to just set up what came afterwards, which was pretty awesome, so I guess it's okay. Strip 425, this is interesting. Superman sees the bank manager, quote, about to commit suicide, unquote. But from the art, I kind of get the impression that when Superman leapt through the window, it startled the bank manager, and that's what caused him to pull the trigger. And I say that because in the second panel... The gun is a good four or five inches from his head when he shoots. Granted, he had the gun in his hand, and that's clearly what he was intending to do, but still, if that's not what Siegel was intending in the art, or in the story, I kind of wish the art would have been a little more clear about that. Thankfully, though, Superman is super fast and is able to make a lightning-like leap and block the bullet. Once again, Superman proves he actually is faster than a speeding bullet. Strip 426, this is very awesome. Superman tells the bank manager to call the Gateston Bank and leave the rest to him. And the manager replies, I don't know why I'm doing this. I know it's impossible for the money to arrive soon enough, but you fill me with a strange sense of confidence. And I loved that. As I've mentioned before, my ideal depiction of Superman is that he fills you with a sense of security and confidence just by being. He carries himself in such a way that people feel safer when he's around. You know, he's calm, he's cool, he's in charge, but not by being commanding or domineering or threatening. Superman shows up and you know everything is going to be okay. Unfortunately, all that awesome is followed by a panel where Lois is about to be trampled by a horse in a bank. Why is there a horse in a bank? Yes, the policeman is riding it, but why did the officer ride the horse into the bank? It just it just makes no sense. Thankfully, the horse does look like a horse, so hooray for more realistic-looking animals, but that doesn't take away from the fact that there's a horse in a bank. It's It's really kind of a weird scene, and my feeling is... It was only stuck in there to give a cliffhanger to the next strip because it's set up in one panel and then by the next – the situation is resolved in the very first panel of the next strip. If my calculations are right, this would have been a Saturday strip, so maybe Siegel was shooting for a bigger cliffhanger to tease the readers over the weekend. I don't know. Either way, it's really, really weird. Strip 428, we get a scene of Superman leaping up and addressing the crowd. It would have been nice to carry on with the sentiment in the, the that was expressed in the confrontation with the bank manager, you know, and have him convince the crowd without threatening to smash a statue over their heads. But once Superman is actually able to offer them his deal, they actually do agree to let him try. So, fair enough. 
And one interesting thing is to keep in mind that from the end of this strip, which was a Monday, all the way through the next five strips to, to the next Saturday, that all takes place over five minutes. So it's just interesting to see, and as a comic reader, I'm used to this, but it's interesting to see how time works. You know, here we've got five strips covering five minutes where in another story you might have one strip covering an entire week. It's just one of the things that's interesting about the medium that you really can't uh, really can't recreate in a in a, com- in a film or on television. Strip four twenty nine. There's something kind of messed up with the dialogue in this strip. Superman has raced off, and we're still with the crowd at the bank as this strip opens. Lois looks at her watch and says, "Superman has five minutes in which to dig up enough money to take care of the." depositors, and two minutes have already passed. Then we cut to Superman, and cut again to the armored truck, and then when we cut back to the crowd again, there's a guy in the crowd that says, one minute has passed. And the crowd starts to get anxious, but Lois replies, no, don't, you gave your word, and there are still four minutes to go. So, that's something I think that should have been caught in the editing. But we do get a cool shot of Superman racing down the road here, though. Art-wise, we see, like, after images or, or speed lines from Superman's arms and legs as they move back and forth, which is a, a very nice technique. And the narration says he runs at hurricane speed. I kind of like when they compare Superman's powers to forces of nature, you know, like the, uh, the lightning-like leaps or the hurricane speed. It's great imagery, and it makes it instantly known that he's doing things far and above what any human could do. Strip 430 and 431. Not too much to say about Superman actually getting the truck. Um, It's pretty standard fare. We do get another nice panel when Superman stops the truck, though. The the point of view of the, you know, quote-unquote camera is from behind Superman, so... We see uh, Superman having planted himself in the road, and his hand is outstretched, bringing the truck to a halt. And they did a nice job of rendering his back and shoulder muscles. It's actually really nice. Like I said, the art in this entire storyline is just fantastic. Strip 432. After Superman brings the armor truck to the bank, though, he leaps out of sight and watches from a nearby rooftop. And he says, Odd race human beings. First they rioted like savages to get their money, and when they get it, they'll fight to redeposit it. And I found this odd in light of the storyline from the Sunday strips that I talked about a few episodes ago, where Superman very clearly identified himself as a human, just more physically blessed. And granted, this could be read as Superman speaking in the third person, but I didn't read it that way in my initial read. It really makes me wonder exactly what Siegel had in mind as to what Superman knows about his origin and when he was going to learn it. We've had three of these types of comments in recent stories. Two with people asking what kind of of being Superman is, and now with Superman speaking in the third person about humans. So that's definitely something I want to keep my eye on as we continue to move forward in the comics and the and the newspaper strips. Strip 434, the only thing I had to say about this strip, other than the comments from earlier about the mayor and the chief not doing anything to uncover the unknown's true identity, is that the last three panels are, I think, the most text-heavy panels I have seen in a Superman story to date. Golden Age comics can be very dense, and I get that, but these three panels are each over three-quarters text, It's just this massive wall of words as we have the big exposition dump about the unknown's threats and why the mayor thinks they're credible. And I hate to be nitpicky about it because it's not a huge deal, but I think that Siegel could have found some way of easing that up some. I was reading along and I hit these panels and I was just like, ugh. I mean, I wanted to just skip over them because it completely brings the flow and rhythm of the storytelling to a screeching halt when you have to stop and read these six huge speech balloons full of text. Now granted, maybe it didn't quite have that same effect in the original printing when that one strip is all you had to read for the day, 
but reading them all together like I do, it just it really stuck out at me. On a similar note, though, I will give them credit for the second panel of the strip, where they just show the note from the unknown in Lewis's hand and let the readers read that, rather than showing the note with some squiggles and then having to explain all of that in the dialogue, too. So, there's that. Strip 435. Then we get to this strip, and it's really my favorite scene in the entire storyline, which is the scene where Superman rescues the baby. And it's odd that this is my favorite scene, because, in a sense, it's kind of shoehorned in, it's not as bad as some scenes from the past, but it's because it it is connected to to the storyline in that the unknown rigged the explosion. But the whole baby rescue wasn't really tied in, and they spent several strips on just that. But still, I really really liked it. It starts out in this strip with a great panel of Superman standing on top of a tree outside the apartment, and we get this huge tree limb jutting out into the distance with the building in the background. It's just a really well-rendered panel in a really well-rendered story. I do wonder why this woman would leave her child, her her infant child, all alone when she went shopping for what appears to have been several hours. But, yeah. Strip 436, this woman is frantic, and Superman shows up, descending down to the ground like a, a blue and red clad angel. And he says, don't be frightened, in what room is your child? From the dialogue, they don't seem to recognize him at first, but Superman races off, and by the next strip, which is strip 437, the officer says, I've got it! Lady, do you know who just dashed in to save your child? Superman! And she replies, Superman? Then my boy is safe! Do I need to say how much I loved that? Like I said earlier, I I just love when Superman is depicted this way. You know, people feel safer just knowing he's on the case. And I also love that people seem to be learning who Superman is. I have no doubt that it's still going to be a while before he becomes a household name, so to speak, but more people are recognizing recognizing him finally, which I really, really dig. But then, even after all that awesomeness, things get better as the building explodes And then in strip 438, we flash back a few seconds prior, which is neat in and of itself since we haven't seen a lot of flashbacks, but we get this totally awesome shot of Superman as he busts through the door to the apartment. He grabs the baby and leaps up, crashing through the roof mere moments before the entire building explodes. And the force of the explosion then rips the babe from Superman's arms. But what happens next? It's Saturday! Which means we have, or or they, had to wait until Monday to find out. It's just, talk about a cliffhanger. So, Monday comes around, when we get strip 439, and we're treated to another great strip as the baby plummets down the side of the building. And Superman pours on the speed in hopes of catching him. But it's not over yet because we have to wait until Tuesday to get to the resolution. So, finally, Tuesday arrives, and Superman summons every last ounce of energy. And thankfully, he ate his Kryptonian Wheaties that morning, and he's able to snatch the baby from midair, right himself, and float safely down to the ground. It's just one incredibly great and and riveting set of strips. It's well-written, it's well-drawn, it's just well-everything. I mean, it's... It's a somewhat rare sequence that actually works much better in the daily format because Siegel made excellent use of the day-to-day cliffhangers to really ratchet up the drama. I've noticed that he's gotten better at using those cliffhangers, well, somewhat. The horse thing from earlier, as I said, was was really silly, but it's not easy writing a a story in three or four panel segments when you need a cliffhanger or some kind of moment of suspense at the end of each one. And yes, the idea that a non-flying Superman could catch up to a baby actually defies all laws of physics, but you know what? We've seen it before, we'll see it again, and it's a comic book from 1940. Or a newspaper strip from 1940. It's totally awesome, and I can totally buy it in the context of of the strip. And it was neat seeing Superman use his, his cape to sail slowly down to the ground, 
We've seen him use his cape a time or two before to aid his maneuvering in the air, and we're going to see it again in upcoming stories. It doesn't explain all of the fantastic aerial maneuvers that we've seen Superman do. And, okay, realistically, it, it explains very few of them, to be honest. But I like the idea of Superman using his cape to aid his movement, uh, or as a form of a, of a parasail, I guess. We saw a similar type of thing in the recent Batman movie, where he could electrify his cape and then be able to sail away, you know, from leaping off a rooftop. It's not exactly the same, but it's a similar principle. And I also like the final panel of the strip with Superman holding the smiling baby. It's just a very friendly-looking Superman. So all in all, just a great set of strips, uh, a very, just a great scene that I, I really like seeing, uh, and, and definitely not one we would have gotten a year and a half ago. So I, it's it's definitely a sign of, of Superman evolving into that you know smiling hero of the people that we all know. Strip 441, speaking of friendly, Superman was much kinder to the baby's mother than the Superman of two years ago would have been. That Superman probably would have locked the woman in a room somewhere and to make her learn her lesson and then turned the baby over to an orphanage or made her leave town. But then again, maybe not. I mean, seeing a baby almost die, seeing her baby almost die would shock the system of almost anyone, and maybe Superman figured that was enough, so... Maybe it's not as much of a switch as I'm thinking it is, but at least he did acknowledge that she left her baby alone, so I liked seeing that. Strip 442. Meanwhile, back at the Daily Planet, I loved this scene with Lois. It was just so fitting with Lois to this point in the stories and really beyond. You can just imagine her gleefully typing up what she thinks is going to be the story of her career. And she says, Will this tear the lid off Metropolis? I'm not sparing anyone, no matter how high his office. And then she, you know, haughtily prances into Taylor's office, only to get shot down. Uh, of course, the reason we learn in Strip 443 that she was shot down isn't Clark's ego, like she says, but because she doesn't have all the facts. There's a reason the police aren't stopping the bank robbers because there's a bigger threat to the public looming if they do. And I've been thinking, and that's one major difference in this portrayal of Lois compared to her her modern-day counterpart, and by modern I mean mid to late 80s forward, but where both Loises are hard-nosed, get-the-story-at-all-cost reporters with a penchant for getting into sticky situations, where the modern Lois will dig in and investigate, this Lois rarely looks beyond the surface. And she makes assumptions on how things appear rather than how they are. This Lois leaps before she looks, where the modern Lois looks and leaps anyway. So that's this Lois's personality flaw and what causes her to get into so much trouble. That's her problem here. You know, she sees the cops doing something that looks wrong on the surface, but she doesn't look at the motive behind it. And that's also why she has such a beef with Clark. She sees the clumsy oaf on the outside, but she doesn't look deeper to find out why. And that's, I think, why Lois comes off in these stories as such an unlikable person. Whether it's inexperience or naivete or or something else, we never really find out, but she takes most things at face value. She's definitely got a good heart. I mean, we've seen that in past stories, she's got a clear sense of morality and right and wrong. And that's why I can buy that Clark falls for her, because I like to think that he sees that in her and realizes that once she learns to look past the surface, she'll be a really great person. Just kind of a little revelation I had there about Lois Lane reading this story. But also of note in this strip is that Clark is smoking a cigarette. <laughs> I, I didn't notice it right at first, but when Lois slaps him, she knocks a, she knocks the cigarette out of his hand. Uh, just seeing Clark smoke, it, it, it fits with the times, but it's just very funny with the modern sensibilities about smoking. Strip 444, the final panel here shows Clark changing to Superman. It's a nice shot of him, you know, fairly iconic, and he's smiling. As I've said on several recent episodes of Legends of the Batman, I really like seeing Batman or 
Superman as it is here, smiling and having a good time as they're out doing their super heroics. Fighting crime is a serious business, but there's no reason they can't have a good time doing it. Uh, jumping ahead to 447, we have a nice panel here. Superman leaps out the window of the building and then oddly somehow ends up on the roof, which is weird. But it's a really neat perspective shot looking downward at the street below. I really like how they've been using different types of shots lately, which probably owes to the different artists coming on board and bringing their own styles. But it really helps to, you know, divvy up the, or make the strips a little more appealing and, and so we don't have the same shot panel after panel. Strips 448 to 456 kind of taking these in a big chunk because I just don't have much to say about the next several. You know, Superman pretending to be knocked out to be a jerk and, and then throwing the gangsters around was fun, but we've seen it all before. There is more great art in these strips, though, but like I said, the art the art is good throughout the entire storyline. So, skipping ahead to strip 457, unfortunately, here again is where the story kind of took a swerve on me because... It doesn't make sense why Lewison would mail the package to himself. It, it just seems that in doing that, he's asking for more trouble. You've got the money. You know, just hide it and avoid suspicion. Don't let the money go and then have to ask questions when you receive a box full of money in the mail. So, uh, strip 459. This actually kind of surprised me. Lewis is, Lewison is dragging Lois around by the hair. I remember an earlier storyline, and I think it was from the dailies, but I could be incorrect, and I didn't take the time to look it up. But there was a crook that was dragging Lois around by the hair in that storyline as well. It's just a very brutal, uh, maybe not more so than Superman throwing guys through walls and what have you, but it, it just really stands out to me. Strip 460, I love this. Lewiston is there with Lois. And then Superman's hands just come busting through the wall behind him and, and grab him by the throat. It's a great panel and, and kind of unexpected. While we have seen Superman crashing through walls time and time again, which is something that never gets old, thankfully, simply punching his hands through the wall and grabbing a guy is something we really haven't seen that I can recall. Uh, but the final strip, strip 462... We get to the end of the story, and for once, Lois Lane actually trumps Clark on the scoop, which is very funny. And both Clark's and Lois's expressions in the final panels are are absolutely priceless. And and Lois looks really great in the last panel as well. She just looks very pretty. Uh, I like that. But overall, I really dug this one. Uh, the story itself wasn't the greatest, and I had my problems with, with the plot itself. But they weren't anything so overt that it kept me from enjoying the story within the context of when it was printed. Uh, plus, there were several great moments. You know, Superman's clearly becoming more of the public's hero now, which I love seeing. There was lots of action, and really, those two things helped make up for any issues I had with the story itself. In a small way, it kind of reminded me of the radio show as we had this long-running mystery throughout as to the identity of the unknown. And, you know, we had threats to buildings and, and whatnot. That's pretty much where the similarities ended, but I think, again, it shows that Siegel is drawing some inspiration from the types of stories that they're telling on the radio show. Art-wise, like I've said all episode, this storyline is really excellent. There are lots of details and rendering, both in the backgrounds and the figures, that normally get left out. We got some great panel layouts. All the figures look fantastic. Um, the thugs and cops are a little bland, a little stock guys in suits, but Superman, Clark, and Lois all look at their iconic best for this point in the books. Superman is strong and barrel-chested. Lois is pretty. Uh, the mayor and the police chief have pretty unique looks. It's just all really, really good. And it's just it, it's not just in their likenesses, but Superman's movements are coming off very fluid and, and more action-oriented. I mean, he's jumping off of buildings, he's throwing guys around, he's running at super speed. I, I just really can't say enough good things about the art. 
taken as a whole, this is probably the strongest story we've had artistically in quite a while. Definitely, definitely check out the images that I post in the show notes for this one. And I may actually post a few more than I normally do just because, well, A, it's a longer story, but B, it's just so, so strong. Superman does sport the S on his cape in most instances throughout the story. It's looking a little bigger than in previous stories, and his chest shield is huge, taking up the majority of his chest, like one would normally think uh, of the S doing in today's books. Like recent storylines, it's the now-classic Pentagon with the slightly stylized S in the center. The sides of the Pentagon are straighter this time out, making the symbol look less round than in previous stories, so we are definitely inching closer and closer to that classic S-shield. If you want to read this totally awesome story, you can find it in the second volume of Dailies from Kitchen Sink. DC Comics recently redesigned their website, and unfortunately, as far as I've been able to find, they've removed the daily newspaper strips that were there. So you can't read these for free anymore, but they're still in the Kitchen Sink volumes, which are pretty easy to find, both on eBay and I believe Amazon.com or your local bookstore. So search out these volumes because they really, really are nice books. Lancers, I've called you here to this unprecedented gathering because we face an unprecedented danger. An enemy we don't yet fully understand. We were created, but I don't need to tell you your duty. I don't need to tell you who we are. Chosen by the Mystic Guardians of the Universe. Recruited from across the galaxy for their bravery and courage. The best and brightest join to fulfill a solemn oath. In brightest day. In blackest night. No evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green, Green Lantern's, Lantern's light. light. Green Lantern's Light, a monthly podcast covering the adventures of Hal Jordan, John Stewart, Guy Gardner, and the entire Green Lantern Corps from 1984 through today. Say the oath. Join the Corps. Green Lantern's Light. Available monthly at GreenLanternsLight.com. On May 30th, 2011, DC Comics announced the historic renumbering of all their superhero titles, and the internet broke in half. Critics and naysayers abounded. Confusion reigned across fandom. What'll I do? What'll I do? What an unusual view. Not to mention the first reactions to the Supergirl costume. I hated her so much. It, it, the, it, flame, flames, flames on the side of my face, breathing, breath, heaving breaths, heaving. But then the books actually hit. And opinions... He likes it! I like it! Opinions began to change. The New 52 Adventures of Superman is a monthly podcast where John Wilson... J. David Weider... And... Michael Kaiser... Take a look at each of the adventures of Superman and his family of characters in Action Comics. You know the deal, Metropolis. Treat people right, 
or expect a visit from me. The Superman who appeared six months ago could hurdle skyscrapers and toss trucks around. Now it's faster, now it's stronger. How soon before it can't be stopped? Superboy. If resolving a situation for him is going to get me out from under these people once and for all, that's a small price to pay for freedom. Release the Superboy. Supergirl. Okay. Giant metal creatures falling from the sky, speaking in clicks and beeps. Father would love this dream. And Superman. You could do so much good. We could do so much good. I am doing good, Lois. Clark's such a loner. Never really lets anyone get close to him. The New 52 Adventures of Superman. Available the first of every month on iTunes and at new52superman.libsyn.com. No spotlight this time out. Since the story was a little longer and I had a lot more to say about it than normal, I thought I'd just skip the spotlight feature this time. It looks like we're already hovering around the one-hour mark anyway, so that's fine. But stay tuned to future episodes because I do intend to do more down the road. Next episode, hopefully I will be joined by a special guest for a look at Superman number 6, which features four brand new and totally awesome adventures of the Man of Steel. I want to thank you all for joining me this time out. Please stop by the website for show notes for this episode, including samples of the great art from this storyline. At the site, you will also find back episodes to the show and show notes for those, as well as other Superman and comic book-related postings from time to time, including the Batman the Brave and the Bold retrospective that I mentioned at the top of the show. At the site, you will also find links to the show's Facebook and Twitter feeds, as well as the RSS feed and the iTunes link, both of which can be used to subscribe to the show. If you subscribe via iTunes, please feel free to leave an iTunes review. Share your thoughts about what you like about the show and let others know that it's worth listening to. The site will also give you the link to the show's Facebook and Twitter feeds, and you can follow the show on both sites to get updates whenever I have new episodes or show-related news. Also, don't forget about the Superman homepage and the Superman Podcast Network. Updates are posted on both sites whenever I have a new episode, and there are tons of other Superman-related content on both sites in between. Both sites should be on your daily internet stops if you are uh, a Superman fan. Last but not least, I invite you to check out my other podcasts, Legends of the Batman, which I co-host with Michael Kaiser. On that show, we are going through each and every adventure of the totally awesome Batman, and you can find that at batmanlegends.com. And then there is Green Lantern's Light, which I co-host with J. David Weeder and Jeffrey Taylor. We're actually at a good jumping-on point for that show, as the books we're covering are the beginning of a new creative team. Uh, Plus, we've got a few surprises coming in the next month or two. So get on board now at greenlanternslight.com and don't miss out. But that's it for this episode. As always, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and his copyright DC Comics. So thanks again for listening to The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, and I will talk to you all later. Goodbye. Slipping unseen into a nearby alley, Clark changes to Superman, and a terrific leap launches the Man of Tomorrow up into the air. <sighs> that uh, clunk you just heard, 
that was my mailman delivering some mail. Yeah. That's one of the hazards of recording recording this show in the spring. You have to deal with outside noises because I had the doors and windows open to let fresh air in the house. <sighs> Let's start that over, shall we?